we pray, and it was somebody that skidded around a very sharp corner, and we thought he was going to hit us, but we're thankful the angels prevented that from occurring. We appreciate that much. It's always good to come up here. I know when I stand before you, every couple months or so, I always say the same thing, and I really mean it because it's a very special dimension to our Sabbath when we come out of the brown desert into the green atmosphere here up in the mountains, and it's just so relaxing. It adds a wonderful Sabbath dimension for us. There's an Adventist syndrome, and the syndrome is things that Adventists say. Kind of interesting, really, when you analyze it. Jesus is coming soon. And the follow-up to that comment is never, never made. Why? Why do you say that? If you believe that really in your heart, is the reason any differently than perhaps 10 years ago? Maybe 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago? I would like to deal this morning with some objective issues that perhaps will help us to be convicted, really, that Jesus is coming soon. September 2, 1945, the end of World War II, when Japan signed the surrender documents on the USS Missouri. That conflict lasted from 1939 to 1945. It's hard to believe, but almost 70 million people died in that conflict. A group of scientists called the Chicago Atomic Scientists, when the war ended, decided to get together and ponder their role. They were the ones that, that worked through the Manhattan Project that dropped the two atomic bombs on Japan, in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And they published in a bulletin, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists in 1947, two years after the war ended. Something that is still very popular today, and I want to just mention it briefly here in passing. That's when they published the Doomsday Clock. When that Doomsday Clock was published, they put the minute hand seven minutes to midnight. They began at that particular time at midnight would mean a point in time when civilization would cease to exist. That was their definition. In 1953, it was moved to two minutes to midnight. Subsequent to that, it was moved all the way back to 17 minutes to midnight. And then January 25, 2018, it was moved up once more to two minutes to midnight, and that's where it is at this particular time. The intensity of things that are evolving in our world right now has affected the secular minds of those atomic scientists, so much so that they feel an end is coming, an end time, the civilization in their way of thinking. And it's very interesting 
Jesus also talked about a time when maybe civilization could end also. Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. Jesus said, For then there shall be a tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world. To this time, to that time, Daniel 12, verse 1 talks about the same thing. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. That's an end time to civilization. Jesus is saying that there's a point in time that this possibility might occur. And at that point in time, he says, I must intervene in history. And we know that that's the time when Jesus is going to be returning back to planet Earth. So Jesus had this same concern about an end of time, just like we have secular scientists today having the same concern. What happened to those scientists to bring to them that conclusion? Before the great deluge in Noah's day, the Bible says every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The Hebrew word, that's Genesis 6, 5, and 6. The word for violence there is all manner of evil and corruption. It means many, many different things in Hebrew. Here are some of the observations that these scientists, these secular minds, had concern about. They are recognizing that there is something transpiring, something different is going on with the minds of people in planet Earth. One of the things they were weighing is the things that's going on in the country of Nigeria and Chad and Cameroon. You're all aware of the Boko Haram, the things that are going on there with the abduction of young girls, the murder of so many individuals. They mentioned one, a couple of stories. A gentleman by the name of Bate had watermelons ready to harvest. Boko Haram came into the town. He fled, abandoning those melons and 30 tons of rice and 18 tons of corn. Everybody in that village was killed. Boko Haram took the food. And this gentleman is in a refugee camp right now. Another individual in a nearby town by the name of Jabi had 400 cows. They killed 90% of his cows. Another area, they had a, uh, another little village right along Lake Chad. They were smoking fish so they could sell them, and the smoking helped the fish to be preserved for a while. Boku Haram came in, they took the whole catch, and they killed all the fishermen. This all happened recently. North Korea is weighting their minds down. They were talking about the challenges that's coming out of the leader of North Korea. Right now, the average individual in North Korea earns $2 a day. And they're trying to support families. And it's very fascinating that the World Health Organization feels that the people in North Korea are so undernourished that the average height will be shortened by five inches. 
because of the malnourishment that weighed their thinking down. In 2010, when the data was collected, there's a lot of data collected every few weeks on some of these issues, but they have to verify the data. 2010, they said 302,093 people were murdered around the world, it was confirmed. That same year, over 12 million people were taken out of their homes and they had to live elsewhere or in refugee camps. Last year alone, and this is confirmed in Mexico, just south of us, 23,000 people were murdered. Is something changing? Is there something going on in the minds and thinking? Let me carry on. Iran is the chief nation sponsoring terrorism. President Obama supplied $33 billion in cash and gold to that nation. That country right now has 42 independent missile manufacturing sites. Many of those missiles can hit anywhere in the world, and they are selling those missiles to other countries. Nothing is happening to back down on these things. This nation has 6,000 political prisoners. Its expansion in the Middle East lacks any organized resistance. The worst country in the world for terrorism, but there's no resistance, excuse me, really, that is going on. Another very fascinating thing that we are watching very closely because of our understanding of Revelation 13 are the growing number of very unique leaders in different countries around the world. And I want to mention a couple of these just to give you a little perspective that the dynamics of leadership in the world is changing. Viktor Orban, who's the president of Hungary, he just won a new election this last week. He said, most of the country's people are happy with less liberty and more consolidation of power. What kind of power does he want to bring? He wants to bring the whole country into the Catholic Christian faith. Kaczynski of Poland has decreased power of judges and has taken control of public broadcasting. He wants to restore a moral order in, in Poland under Christian values. And in the last 12 months, you may have seen it in the news, that the whole country now in Poland is under a Sunday law. Very few businesses can operate in Poland on Sunday. Kurtz of Austria, 31-year-old strongman. He does not want any Muslims in his country. He only wants to have Catholic Christians. Babis of the Czech Republic wants to dissolve the government's checks and balances and turn the whole country into a tyranny. Xi Bing of China is now emperor for life. You probably know that from the news. He wants China to be a superpower. And just a couple weeks ago, he threatened anyone that comes into the China Sea with military action. It's very interesting that in the New World Order plan that a lot of these individuals are very uh, adamant in having, China is one of those countries or one of those regions and 
He is fully aware of that, and that was in 1973 those decisions were made. Vladimir Putin from Russia. He's redrawing right now the borders of Europe. And it's bringing back some of the USSR areas. Mr. Abe, President Abe of Japan, he's becoming more and more tyrannical in his decisions. Donald Trump, the United States, the power that he's wielding maybe is far more than we even want to admit in spite of all his challenges and problems. Things are changing in the mindset of the world. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, more now than it was during World War II. Hate-filled language and action is being seen exponentially. Even issues like correct use of words, driver rage. And something very fascinating, Pope Francis, in the last four to six weeks, has been speaking out in a very strong way that the United States is a corrupt nation and needs to change. Brilliant author and editor of Front Page Magazine, David Horowitz, recently asked in a widespread article, have the Democrats no shame for their hate-filled propaganda, and Horowitz is not a Christian, hate-filled propaganda against President Trump? If you look up and Google and research on hate-filled language, you'll find probably 10,000 articles that have come up that have been published in the last six months. Something is happening to the mindset of people and leaders even here in the United States. Criminals are being set free across America. Immigration agents are being blocked from arresting illegals that have committed crimes. The Southern Poverty Law Center, very fascinating organization to study, has a hate list of organizations in the United States. And if you go on the web, you can actually read that hate list, and there are Seventh-day Adventist churches on that list. The corruption for many years now, the Vatican Bank has appointed auditors and heads of the Vatican Bank. The Vatican Bank has been known for laundering money. And for the last 10 years, every head of the Vatican Bank has not lasted more than 24 months. They fire them because they're getting too close to certain accounts. And there is very fascinating history that's being made of that right now, if you look on the web. The FISA court has been illegally snooping. California is issuing driver's license, and they hope that that will mean they can, this fall, to a thousand correction to a million illegals that they can vote here in California because they have a driver's license. And I could go on and on. They listed many, many things. One thing they listed was the Burning Man Festival that happens in America every year in the fall. Last year, 70,000 people from around America attended that festival. Perverse, sexual perversion, promiscuity, moral corruption, and yet that's an area of entertainment for them. The horrors of war in the Middle East 
You're probably aware the president bombed Syria last night. Well, what is the answer? Something important for us as Adventists to begin to ponder a little bit. Recently, a journalist by the name of Andrew Miller wrote an article, What the World Needs is a Strong Leader. The only hope, he said, for human survival is a benevolent global authority. World peace is impossible without a global authority to enforce it. Yet it noted, he noted that national strongmen unfortunately seem to trample on rights and liberties of people who give them power. Selfish human nature seems to win too often, he says. Someone without selfish human nature with a perfect righteous character is needed. This is a secular writer. And then he concluded, some say he's coming soon. During the horrors in Ireland in the 1960s and 70s, some of you may remember that well with the Irish Republican Army. Assassinations occurred frequently. And the television network interviewed a lady at that time. What do you think, just a lady on the streets, what do you think might be the answer to this problem? And she said, our country needs a little bit of Jesus. There is another answer, man, who's a rising star. The late Billy Graham called him the world's strongest and greatest moral leader. It was then Pope John Paul II, and now it's Pope Francis. The moral voice of Pope Francis, as I will share with you in just a moment, is getting stronger and stronger. His powerful voice is increasingly penetrating world affairs. The Vatican is already representative as an NGO in the United Nations, a non-governmental organization. Pope Francis has successfully mediated a decade-old war in Colombia with the FARC rebels. You may be aware of that. He mediated the opening of diplomatic ties between the United States and Cuba. He is actively working to resolve the terrible tyranny that's going on in Venezuela in North-South America. He has access to most of the presidents of the world and prime ministers at any time he wants. He heads the world's largest Christian sect, 1.2 billion members. Ambassadors from 178 countries are in Rome right now, representing their country to the Vatican and assigned to the Holy See. He's on the good side of most Muslim countries, and there are 28 Muslim countries that have ambassadors there in Rome. World leaders frequent the Vatican. One of the leaders that was there four weeks ago was President Hirogen of Turkey in March. This gentleman holds thousands of political prisoners right now, maybe up to 61,000 by some reports. And yet when Pope Francis and he ended a meeting just four weeks ago, Pope Francis embraced him and kissed him on the forehead. And yet this man is a tyrannical leader of his country. 
Is Francis that moral leader that draws all bodies together? A growing number of world leaders believes he is. We've been advised, marvelous is her shrewdness, and cunning is the Roman church. She can read what is to be. She bids her time. Though they may take an oath of pledge, speaking, speaking of citizens of different countries, of loyalty to their state, yet back of this lies the vow of obedience to Rome, absolving them from every pledge admitical to their interest. And then Ellen White said this, Rome is aiming to reestablish her power, to recover her lost supremacy. She's silently growing in her power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in churches, and in the hearts of men. This is coming true, what she has talked about in the past. There's a lot of this in Bible prophecy. It is coming true right now. It may not hit the headlines, but these things are evolving very rapidly. The Holy See wants to be that moral voice. And I have about 100 pages of documents that have come out of the Vatican in the last three years that are defining how they want to become that world leader, secular as well as religious. They want to be able to rescue mankind from the challenges that mankind is faced with. There's another savior that's on the horizon also. It's a savior perhaps that is a challenge. And perhaps this is a savior that we don't focus upon maybe as we should as Adventist. I want to read you a quote that I've never heard presented in a church or in a Sabbath school class from Ellen White. This is a savior that the world is going to be wondering after. Not the Revelation 13 sea beast, another savior. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Ellen White made a very fascinating observation I want to read part of this observation. And if you ever want to study this, this is found in 19MR, page 282. Maybe it's a page. It's the first page of that particular MR study. It's worth studying that now and then. I'm going to read this paragraph. Every phrase in this paragraph is very powerful. In the last days... Satan will appear as an angel of light with great power and heavenly glory. Did you ever read that before? Great power and heavenly glory. And claim to be the Lord of the whole earth. He will declare that the Sabbath has been changed from the seventh to the first day of the week. As Lord of the first day of the week, he will present his arguments. And she goes on to describe that. But here's the sentence that's easy to jump over. Then. Is that a sequence word? Then? That's a sequence word, isn't it? Satan appears as an angel of light. Then. 
will take place the fulfillment of Revelation 13. Did you catch that? That's very powerful. These kind of statements are easy to just, excuse me, to just jump over and sweep it under the carpet. To make sure that we didn't misunderstand what she said, then will take place the final fulfillment of the prophecy in Revelation 13, and then she quotes Revelation 13, verses 4 through the rest of the chapter. That includes the 42 months. Ellen White has several quotations distinctly talking about timing prophecies at the end. It hasn't been our lot to want to talk about that. And she started those quotations in 1883. It's very interesting in the Review and Herald. Tying that to the same period of Daniel 12, Satan appears as an angel of light before the sun he lies. We don't think about those things as Adventists. The sequence of these things from Ellen White's writings and from the Bible, and we tie them both together, we find things that just begin to unfold like a flower in front of us of things that we are to understand and grasp and have knowledge of. So when we say Jesus is coming soon, we really know why Jesus is coming soon. We never know the day and the hour, but we know that things are beginning to happen that is pointing us directly to this event of his soon return and the great hope that we all have. It was just a few months ago, December 16, in fact, a correction, 2017, that Fortune 500 leaders, 500 Fortune 500 business leaders, flew to the Vatican to meet the Pope. At the same time, Time Magazine's 100 noteworthy leaders flew to the Vatican to meet the Pope. 600 business leaders from all over the world flew to the Vatican to have what they called a global economic forum. The Pope, Pope Francis, gave them advice on business, world economics, and the moral value of how to do business. And he was addressed as your holiness. This man recently said that there are dangerous alliances between the world powers that have distorted the world view. Think now of some of the things I'm going to be sharing with you in this silver thread of moral superiority that is coming out. The United States, he said, was the first listed that has a moral problem. The Vatican is manipulating the thinking of the world's leaders into a very unique mold. He said that a world government must soon rule the United States for its own good. That will be the coalition of ten nations, which is part of the new world order. That's a different topic. And then he said a federal structure. Now, just think in your mind of our understanding as Adventists of Revelation 13, where there's an earth beast and a sea beast, and the earth beast is giving power and allegiance 
throughout the whole world to the sea beast, right? That's our understanding of that. And this is what the sea beast said. Quotes, a federal structure that is best for the United States resembles the feudal system of medieval times when peasants were ruled by unimpeachable monarchs. Unquotes. The dynamics of things that are going on, unless we really dig deep into some of the news areas, it's easy to miss these things and have a superficial understanding of where we are at. Is Jesus coming soon? He sure is. Things are beginning to coalesce in a power way. And Revelation 13 really is about power and how power is going to be enforcing different ways of worshiping. This power structure and this unique, very different mindset that is very necessary for these prophecies to be fulfilled is really moving forward right now. There's some interesting religious concerns, and I just feel compelled to share a few things with you if I may go another 10 minutes, Mary Angeli, if that's possible. The Catholic League president, Bill Donahue, if you want to study his name, he's a very brilliant attorney, and he he's heads the Catholic League here in the United States, recently noted that Catholic and evangelical Christians have much in common. A unified mission began in 1980, and recently he wrote an article about that, and just playing up the dynamics of how wonderful it is that Catholics and evangelicals, you've probably heard that dynamic, are working more and more together. And in this article he recently wrote, he just talks about this in just a most favorable way. And he talked about evangelicals and Catholics together, how that is maturing, Christian Coalition, Family Research Council, focus on the family. The family, in many, many different ways, is benefiting from this unity and this bonding. It's strange. As he is promoting this, which now goes back into the early 1980s, something else is happening out of Rome. Very fascinating. Jesuit Spadaro, a leading friend of Francis, Pope Francis, and he's the editor of the Catholic magazine, I don't pronounce these correct, La Civilica Catolica, has written recently and brought out, it's on the web, he says this, these thoughts, the alliance in the United States between Catholics and evangelicals is unfortunate. It goes against Pope Francis' message of mercy. Do you see something happening? He said that the U.S. motto in God we trust is not a simple declaration of faith, but a problematic fusion between religion and state, faith, politics, and religious values in society. He criticized President George Bush's use of the term axis of evil. He criticized the Protestant claim that the country has been a nation blessed of God. 
Remember, this Catholic magazine is a world international magazine. He criticized the USA's literal adherence to the Bible. He criticized the President Trump, President administration, demonizing enemies. He criticized Protestants' non-allegorical understanding of the book of Revelation when thinking about a new heavens and a new earth. He noted that Protestants have a nostalgic dream of a theocratic type of state with Catholics and remarks that this is no different than the Islamic dream. Evangelical bond with Catholics is an ecumenism of hate, he says. Pope Francis has an ecumenism of inclusion and peace. He noted the Protestants project divinity on politics. Protestants think political success comes with an exaggeration, disorder. <laughs> Interesting terminology. Yet the Vatican Secretary of State praises the ecumenism that's going on. Do you see the dynamics of what's happening? It's really a dual message that is coming out of Rome. The ones, the leaders that are really in the know and that have the power that they are wielding around the world are individuals that distinctly want to have world control exactly like Ellen White talked about, exactly like the prophecies define in both Daniel and the book of Revelation. Ellen White says, and let it be remembered, it is the boast of Rome that she never changes. The principles of Gregory VII and Innocent III, and I know you're familiar with this, are still the principles of the Roman Catholic Church. And I think some of these little things I'm presenting to you here this morning is beginning to come to light to help prove that those things are true. But it also help, helps us to understand what's really beginning to emerge right now that the true colors of what she talked about are beginning to take place. She then said Protestant world, the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are when it is too late to actually escape. So in just pulling a few thoughts together, Jesus said in many places when he talked in the Gospels about the end of time, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Luke 16, Luke 19. He says, watch. If we are to watch, that means there are objective things that we can see. And if there are objective things that we can see, when we say Jesus is coming soon, we really have reasons to be able to say that and have deep convictions in our heart that our precious Savior is soon going to be returning to planet Earth. Luke 21, 36, Jesus says, Watch, therefore, pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are going to come to pass, and to be able then to stand before the Son of Man. That's our ultimate objective, is to be able to stand before him and be able to smile at that time and not be terrorized. 
their series. CNN is putting out series right now. You may be aware of this. Pope Francis, the most powerful man in history. I don't know if you've seen some of those. They're going to have a series, I believe, of six different programs on that. This is indoctrinating millions of people. It is the opinion of many world leaders that he is the most powerful man in history. It's another reason the clock is approaching midnight. If I sat on that committee of those scientists, I would probably put that clock maybe 30 seconds to midnight. We're getting very close. The mindset of the whole world is changing. There is hate. There's tyranny. There's controlling. We're at a new era in this world like we've, excuse me, like we've never been before. And something is about ready to happen to bring everything right to a focal point. Paul warned the Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have battles before us. Satan is wanting to take charge of each one of our minds. We can begin to see him really taking charge of the minds of people around the world. But you know, there's something very encouraging to me. When I look at Revelation 7, John is there in heaven viewing the throne room and all those that are translated around the throne room. And he and one of the 24 elders are chiding together, who are these people? And John says to the 24 elders, it's an interesting dynamics. You, you know who these people are. These are individuals that have come out of great tribulation. And they're dressed in white because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The dynamics in the Greek in that chapter suggest that the number of people around the throne are so many they can't be counted. Is it possible, in spite of the hatred of the world and what is really transpiring, that you and I may be part of a little group of people to help bring people to the foot of the cross and maybe, just maybe, the number of people that's around that throne might be more than 10,000, maybe more than 100,000, maybe in the millions, because there's hearts still soft enough to accept the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for the closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this worship hour, this divine hour, you please. We realize that the challenges of this world are becoming increasingly intense. And for many individuals here, I am sure that the intensity of the work of Satan has come and even touched their own lives and their own families in different ways. But Father, we lean upon you and the faith we have. Strengthen our faith. You've told us we can pray that prayer and 
We ask that you'll strengthen our faith, that the peace of heaven will be in our hearts and our minds, that we will have confidence to move forward, to invite others to the foot of the cross, and realize that soon these issues that we see that are so difficult will soon come to the end and we're going to see the precious face of Jesus Christ. Father, that's our hope. That's our longing. And I pray for each person here this morning, those that couldn't even be here or make it, that the greatest passion in life is to prepare to see your face and to be in your kingdom throughout eternity. I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.